Let's pray together as we uh, prepare to get into God's Word this morning. Lord, thank you so much for uh, these beautiful people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for a heart of people who want to serve you and make your name great. Um, Lord, we recognize that in the middle of uh, seasons like this and holidays like this, God, that uh, things are, can be hard and things uh, can be sad. Uh, Lord, and, and sometimes we're hard-pressed to celebrate and to think about just the joy that you bring in being uh, the king that was born uh, flesh that has come to us to, to bring salvation and to um, offer us hope in you. And so I pray that this morning, God, that, that we would find your word as a comfort. God, as we read your word and as we read the stories of what you have done and what you have done for us, God, that we find great comfort in you, that we find peace in where we are. Lord, we find our hope uh, is in you and in you alone, Lord. And we can't do that on our own, so we ask that you do that in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. We uh, are continuing in uh, this series uh, in Advent. Um, two weeks ago, we started the series, and JP went through the, the genealogy in Matthew 1, and how uh, if through the generations, 77 generations would come uh, to this point where Mary had descended through these generations and then has uh, shown up to have a baby named Jesus. Last week, we saw the, the perspective of uh, a, a relative of Mary, uh, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zachariah, and how they saw the the coming of Jesus and how John and Jesus had this this relationship as relatives as as well. And this week we're going to look at the perspective, uh, the vantage point from Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at it through Luke, which JP read, Luke one. Luke gives the the most unique and most detailed uh, description of Mary and and what we learn about her. So first, I want to kind of go through who, what do we know about about Mary. Uh, it's interesting that Luke doesn't really give any qualifiers. You don't really see any qualifiers in the Gospels about why Mary was, was chosen. Uh, it doesn't say anything about her being distinctly more righteous than someone else or uh, more holy than someone else. Uh, her resume wasn't super impressive except for that she came through this genealogy of, of great men and women that served the Lord that the Bible has captured. We saw these names of these ladies that had served God, and all of them had a common thing. They all were women that desired the Messiah to come. They all had their eyes locked on, one would come and be the rescuer, the Savior, the one that they would call the Messiah, the one that they had all long awaited for. So we're going to learn a lot about Mary um, through the understanding of the culture, the first century culture that she was living in, uh, we're going to learn a lot about Mary through just the, the narrative that we read today, the scripture that we read today, and then how we put the whole of scripture uh, all together to give us a, a better picture of who, who Mary is, the mother of Jesus. Uh, we know that Mary was actually a family name, and uh, that, ma- that name ma- means in the Hebrew and then also translated in the Septuagint and the Greek as their rebellion or rebellious. So it's interesting that Mary... The mother of Jesus' name is rebellious, right? Um, we know that, that she was a young lady, probably between the age of 13 and 16 years old. 
She was in a relationship with the man named Joseph. Uh, this relationship was unique because it was called in that time, in the first century, called a Kadoshan. Uh, a Kadoshan relationship meant that a mom, uh, families had decided that these two were a planned marriage and that they were going to marry one another and they, and they would take a one year time span where they would not live with one another. Uh, they would not treat one another like a husband or a wife, but they would only spend time studying the other person in their family, preparing for marriage, preparing to be a good spouse. It's kind of like engagement today, but it was legally binding. It was as legally binding as, as marriage was. That's why Joseph uses the strong language in, in Matthew 1 that he made think about divorcing Mary when he comes to know about the news of her being pregnant. We'll talk more about that. Uh, we know that uh, that Mary had a very unique role in the incarnation, right? The unique role specifically was that she was the bearer of God, that she actually had a, a baby that was inside of her that was fully God at conception and fully flesh, fully man. Very unique in that, uh, that, that Christianity is the only religion that believes that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. It's a very important point for us as Christians. Kind of a, a place where we, we stand, we hang our hat on who we believe Jesus to be. That Christ, uh, our belief in who Christ is, begins at how he was conceived. And we'll talk more uh, a little bit about that. We recognize that, that the, the impregnation of Mary... Uh, in uh, through the Holy Spirit was something only that God could do. And so we see this great example of Mary's faith and obedience uh, as she hears the announcement from the angel. Uh, we see her personal suffering uh, as she watches her son grow up, as she watches him be rejected, uh, persecuted, and later killed. We see as she rejoices in resurrection and ascension, and as she continues to have a faithful, servant-like heart her entire life. We also recognize that Mary will go on to have family. Okay, So there are some uh, that don't believe that. But it says in God's word that Joseph would not lay with her until after the birth of Jesus. But then they would have children. They would have, uh, Jesus would have siblings. We also know that Mary was a sinner. In the prayer that J.P. read for us earlier, in her second line, she actually confesses her need uh, for a Savior. We see that Mary is a recipient of God's blessing, but the blessing is through her Son, which is the fountain in which these blessings, all of grace, will flow from. That's found in Psalm 72. And so as we look at this wonderful lady, right, the mother of Jesus, uh, we see her curious, her obedient, her faithful love for God. And we see that begin in Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed uh, to a man named Joseph, who was the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So what we know is that the angel is a conduit of what God's message is to Mary. The angel has come not on his own accord, 
they, that God has sent the angel to come and speak to Mary and speak his truth about what was going to happen. And what we'd like, what I'd like for us to wrestle with and come to the conclusion of today is how did Mary come to this point of surrender to God? So first of all, we see her, her, her initial reaction is that, is that she, she kind of pauses and, and is dissecting and taking in everything that's, that's happening. She's analyzing what's happening, that she's in this room with an angel, and this angel is speaking to her. And in verse 29, it uses the word that she discerns what's going on, which literally means that she is trying to give a logical explanation. And so Mary, being analytical and being very logical, she's discerning what is, what is happening in the room. The angel obviously knows her, her response and how, and how she's feeling, so he gives a response to her, her nonverbal intellectual uh, staring off and discerning what was happening by saying, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall, shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I, I think it's interesting that the angel is not patting this like, hey, brace yourself. This is coming to you as, as something that's going to be a little crazy. Like he just straight up just starts telling her what's happening. Like, there's a baby that's coming, and it's going to be placed inside of you. And this baby is the one that you've been praying for, the one that you've been preparing your heart for, the one that, that you've been, been uh, uh, learning about your entire life, which is young at this time. Mary knew that one day the Messiah would come. This wasn't new news to her. She was expecting this. We'll learn later that she had been memorizing scripture about the Messiah that would come one day in preparation and great anticipation and excitement. Mary knew that, that the angel, what he was speaking to her, was actually a fulfillment of scripture, of the promised one to come. But Mary, discerning and being logical, has to know, well, how? <laughs> how might this happen? So Mary, so Mary asks the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin. Mary's still taking it all in. I love that, that her initial response isn't just to submit. Isn't just to, to be like, okay, I guess. No, she has something inside of her that wants to know more about what the angel is saying, about what God is placing in her. It's overwhelming information about this powerful young ruler that was going to come and take the throne of David, right? Mary also knows how babies are made. It's a fair question. How? How are you going to do this? Because I'm, I'm a virgin. I'm pure. But I want to pause and think, man, what bravery is Mary having here as she steps into this scene with this angel and she's, she's not running away or fleeing, but she's actually with great courage. I want to know more. I want to know what, what's happening. Whether this is a dream or she's hallucinating or this is really happening, she's leaning in. She's asking, I want to know more. How? Will this be? Because I'm a virgin. And so the angel answers her and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He's the Son of God. So what he says is that the Holy Spirit will arrive, and he will, he will cover you. 
And while he is covering you, he will place in you the seed that we've all long awaited for from the garden. Place the seed of the Son of God inside of your womb. And he is there, and it's something that only God could do. So as she's being covered, the seed will come inside of her and will be placed there. And as Mary continues to wrestle with the impossibility of this, the angel continues and, and says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. So the angel, in the midst of throwing this, this great bomb on her, says, But hey, listen to this hope. Your, your relative that's older, that's never had a child, her and her husband have never been able to conceive. She is now with child. It's this glimpse of hope. But then the angel just lands the plane and says the one phrase that I want us all to wrestle with and be encouraged by today is that he continues to say, for nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And in an instance, Mary said, Behold, I am the servants of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's all it took for Mary to, to kind of refocus. She, she knew that this long-awaited Messiah was, was to come, and she just needed to be refocused. Okay, she did not know it was going to be through her, but she had been waiting for the Messiah to come. And this angel shows up and says, and the Messiah is here. And he's going to come through you and through your home. You're blessed. And she finds herself in this, this posture of worship, in this posture of, of submission. Now, you've got to realize, take a step back. We're going back to the 21st century in this culture. In the back of Mary's mind are all the realities, the things that she has to wrestle with. Even in submission, she, she comes to the realization that there's a lot of fear and a lot of, in the culture that she lived in, people are going to see the bump. They're going to have questions. They know in small town, Nazareth, in Israel, everybody knows her family. Everyone knows her, her fiancé, Carpenter. Everyone knows that she's in this Kadoshan relationship with him. Everyone knows that this, this bump isn't supposed to be there. And so as she goes through the streets, people are going to be like, well, what's happened here? She broke the, the, the laws of purity inside the, the engagement period. What is Joseph going to do? What is Joseph going to say? We're going to talk about that. What is her, her, her husband, the one that she's betrothed, betrothed to? How is he going to respond to this? All this has got to be going through Mary's head, right? But all she can do is rest her heart and take all the realities, the things that she can't control, and she places them at the feet of God and realizes, man, nothing is impossible with God. Just take a step away from the story for just a second. Some of us in here, we need to remember that. We need to look at our life and all the things that we're afraid of and, and wrestling with during this time of season where there's relatives that are, that are no longer here or, or relatives that you're not going to see or relatives you have conflict with. Things that you can't control. And recognize, man, nothing is impossible with what God can do. Will you invite God into that relationship? Will you invite God into what, what He is doing in your life? Will you trust Him 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And then we jump on and, and we see that Mary, it goes on, it says, Mary quickly or abruptly left to go visit Elizabeth. And when she gets to be with Elizabeth, they rejoice. And JP covered that last week. And so you guys can get this whole series together and as it all flows together. But we see after uh, Mary is interacting with Elizabeth, she begins to sing. And she begins to, to pray some, somewhat of a prayer song that we, that we capture. It's called the, the Manifesta, or Magnifica, sorry, the Magnifica. Um, and what this is, is it's a response to what she has learned. She's had a couple day journey to go be with Elizabeth. We don't know the duration, but she's been preparing and now she goes and she sees her, her, her old relative that is also six months pregnant. And she just rejoices. It's just a reminder that God can do anything. When we think that things are, are impossible, God says, no, I can make them impossible. And she begins to sing and pray. But it's a unique song. It's a unique prayer. It's not her own words. The words that she begins are the words that, that she had been committing to Scripture her entire life. It's like she's being squeezed and God's word is beginning to come out of her as she thinks about the power of what is happening in her. She begins to sing songs of praise that, that we see in, in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah's prayer when Samuel is born. She begins to, to sing and pray songs of Isaiah. And she's singing songs and prayers through the book of Psalms and Deuteronomy 5 and Genesis 17. All this is a, it's a combination of all these things coming together. Scripture is coming to, to life for her. God had already placed these words in her heart. And what she's realizing is that the Messiah, the, long, the one that she had been long waiting for, has now arrived. And it's going to come through her and her family. And she's going to be interacting with the king of kings. She has the honor of raising the perfect child. <laughs> Who would like that? Right? Who would want to be Jesus' brothers or sisters? Man, that's a high bar. And then we see in Luke 1.46 as she begins to, to pray and sing. She starts off with, my soul magnifies the Lord, Psalm 34. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 69, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. In her very first line, she's already saying, this is about God. This is not about me. There's no rite of passage. She understands that she doesn't even deserve it. Yet God has chosen her and allowed her to be in this position and she wants to make God's name great, not her own. She goes on and she and says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's Psalm 35. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Psalm 106. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things. In her second line, she's confessing her need. Her need to be saved. Her need as a savior is showing that she is that she is a sinful race. She's of a sinful race. Yet she rejoices in the Savior that has come. In verse forty-eight of her her prayer, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, 
From now on, all generations will be called, will call me blessed. And that's Psalm 72. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of our Lord forever with my mouth. And I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. She is blessed Because God has placed the courage in her to believe. God carried her into this position where she, where he sent a messenger to say, this is what's happening. She's blessed because God himself is fulfilling his word through her life. The thing that he had promised from the garden has now come. The seed that that will come and crush the serpent's head has now prepared to come into this world. And we are blessed because Jesus will go go on and he will call us family for those who believe. In verse 49, she continues, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Psalm 89, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness uh, around all. Psalm 99, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. And then she goes on, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And that's Isaiah 51. Awake, awake. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old, the generation of long ago. And she just goes on for the next five or six lines, using Scripture, uh, praying and singing God's Word to magnify God. This is not about Mary. This is about Jesus. She's making Him the center of all of this. And this is amazing. But how He brought Jesus into, into the earth, into, into uh, uh, the incarnation, how he did that is not what we worship. What we worship is who he brought. He brought Jesus to be amongst us. Now, Mary wouldn't be the only one that had to wrestle with these, this truth, this relationship, what's happening, this incarnation. She's with this relationship with Joseph, right? And so we see how uh, he responds in Matthew 1, 18. JP read about that earlier. That the son, he had, he had fear. And he was making a, pl- a plan. Now, he was going to be kind about it. He didn't want to put, bring shame to Mary. But he was planning on divorcing her. And it says that the son of, uh, that a, uh, an angel come to, came to Joseph in a dream. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. What we see that Joseph's concern is would probably be the entire culture's concern. But what I love about this is that God makes it completely clear to both Mary and Joseph what's happening. God shows up and he doesn't want to, to create fracture in their relationship. He shows up and he makes it right that Joseph, this is what I am doing through the Holy Spirit. And I love it kind of shows us that picture of, of how important marriage is to God. 
when two people that are coming together and that want to make his name great, that that Jesus would be the one that comes in this picture here, and he's the one that is going to restore even their marriage. He's going to go on, and he's going to create the covenant of marriage for us to, to imitate, because we are the bridegroom of Christ. I mean, we are the bride of Christ, and he is our bridegroom. And so all this is coming into a head, and God has provided a Savior, and the route in which he, the creator and the sustainer of all creation would do this is absolutely incredible. That God would plant a seed in the womb of Mary. Like I said earlier, the way this happens is that Jesus comes through a a lady named Rebellious. That God takes a rebellious culture, a rebellious race, and he puts the righteous one inside that race. And the righteous one comes out of that race to come and restore and redeem and reconcile us back to himself. Romans five seventeen. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Through that one man, he will come and he will restore all of the rebellion that's inside of all of us. We are still a rebellious race, a rebellious culture. We have the, we're prone to wonder. Yet if we believe in that, that seed of hope, that seed of life, a seed of redemption is indwelling within us. And God has chose to use you and to use me to make God's name great, to put Jesus in the center, not only of Christmas, but of every day of our life and every decision that we walk through. God has placed his son in our heart so that we may have hope, that our hope isn't in, in being being good enough, doing the right thing, earning it. Our hope is that Christ has already accomplished everything for us on behalf of a sinful race, a rebellious race, and he's called you beloved. His blood has atoned for our sins, and he's called us brothers and sisters in Christ. Does this sound impossible? Yeah, of course it does. Through the, the, the 77 generations, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David to Mary, man, none of this is it's not possible through them, with them doing it. It's only possible because of God. That quote that's in your bulletin from C.S. Lewis, he says, The reason I believe in Christianity is because nobody is brilliant enough or crazy enough to think this thing up. It seems impossible. We don't. We couldn't come up with a lie that's lavished enough to even meet what's going on here. And so it has to come back to what we talked about at the very beginning. That Jesus came in an impossible way. Only God can make this possible. The Holy Spirit covers Mary and places the seed of the King of Kings inside of her womb. To come and be our Savior. To come and be the one that why we are even gathered here today. This isn't for reputation or status. This is because we believe that a king has come and he's noteworthy and he is worthy of all praise. And every tongue and every knee will bow and confess that he is the king of kings. 
So if there's something that's impossible, a little practical point to end on, if there's something that you feel like is impossible in your life during this Christmas season, man, meditate on the same words that the angel spoke to Mary. Nothing will be impossible with God. We talk about the four G's, that God is great and gracious and glorious and good. And He's always that way. And we have to ask ourselves, what, when things are uh, feeling like we don't have control of them or things are hard, we have to ask ourselves, what are we not believing about God? Well, I want you to wrestle with that this morning. If there's something that's in your life right now that you're like, man, I just can't, I can't surrender this. Meditate on those words and find yourself at the cross in the posture of surrender with Mary. You are a servant. If you're a believer, come along. Believe like Mary. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let your word be over me and let your will be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you for the story, the uniqueness of it from the first century and how it still has great application to us even here today that our hope would be in you and you alone. That we would find ourselves in, in a posture with Mary of just praise. God, that we would have a heart that's anticipating and preparing and, and ready to praise you. God, as you have come and we expect you to come again to restore and to reconcile, to make all things right. As you create a new heaven and a new earth where we will reign with you and we will worship you for eternity as your sons and daughters. Wow. God, I pray that, that you continue to peel away our doubt, peel away our fears. God, allow our discernment to lock in on you and let us refocus when we realize and believe and recognize the words that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with you, Lord. Thank you for that beautiful truth this morning. God, let us continue just to worship and to praise you, for you are good. Amen.